Today's slice of Syria magic is all about Parma, the little town that brought us one of Calcio's biggest miracles, as in the home of hard cheese, a footballing empire was built on milk that then went sour. Little town on the banks of the River Parma, famous for its cheese and its ham. Famous too in Italy for its extremely high quality of life. Italy's top financial newspaper regularly naming it either as the number one place to live or in the top three. Small population, about 170,000 sober professional folk, and they like to ride bicycles. And it was here, in these unprepossessing surroundings, you might think that one of the biggest surprises of the 90s came about, and it was Panama. Panama, much more settled, so many internationals in their side, and in their attacking areas, they really have their major stars. Zola, one of the very best Italians, Rolin, one of Sweden's outstanding players, and then right at the sharp end, the spectacular Aspriglia from Colombia. Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle are with us today. How on earth in the home of Verdi and, if you like, Stendhal. How on earth did they get to have a side that was ranked as one of the best in Europe? Sorry, can we just rattle off more fun facts about Parma? Because this really is the greatest place. You're not entirely objective, Gabriele Marcotti, because your, your father grew up there. Yes. Your mother is from there to the extent that we think she might be related to one of the protagonists of this story. She might only be there going back several hundred years. We're but, not sure. I think any objective sane person would say that, along with possibly Modena, uh -huh. it is the culinary capital of Italy, yes? Yeah, no and possibly Bologna? Europe, shall we say. Bologna? No. Bologna, no, come on. Um, you have oh, the, the Tortelli del Beta. Uh-huh. Anolini, the torta fritta. I mean, there's a whole level. The one thing, and Parma, incidentally, is a fantastic sporting tradition, is a powerhouse in, in baseball. I think they've won more European championships than any other. Volleyball as well for many years. The only thing that, you know, God gave Parma so much that it also gave Parma, I think, possibly the most horrendous climate in Europe in that in winter it's cold and it's uber foggy every single day. And in winter, it's impossibly hot and really, really humid and stuffy. But other than that, Parma really is the land mm. of everything. It was even the land of Faustino Sprilla, which was quite a sight to see him wandering down Viali Fratti or whichever <laughs> bit he was heading down. But uh, that was the kind of thing you used to see in the 90s. Him, mm. Stojkov, Zola, Crespo, Chiesa. And I would say probably only in the 90s now as well, because Panama up until then had never been in the top flight. This is what makes their story so remarkable, is that mm. they got up for the first time in 1990. And it wasn't like they won the second division either. They, they came through a playoff. They'd finished fourth. And yet for that side to then basically in their first ever inaugural year in the top flight to finish fifth and every year kind of do better, mm. go to cup final after cup final after cup final is pretty extraordinary, really. So their first year up, as you say, they finish fifth. The second year, they win the Coppa Italia against Juventus. Mm. Crazy. So two men, Big I mean, we, we've talked about some of the players who arrive and we'll, we'll go into greater depth, but two men are key here. In previous Galatos, we mentioned Origo Sacchi, the fact that mm. he was at, at Parma when when they were in the third division and they famously knocked uh, Milan out of the Coppa Italia. Zdenek Zeman, who replaced him but only lasted 
seven games. But Nevio Scala, who I think came from a farming background, is that right? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes people like managers kind of revel in their image a little bit too much in their private life. And because we like our characters, we, we tend to exaggerate this a little bit. Whereas, in fact, you know, most of them all wear designer clothes and live in, you know, luxury mansions. But Navio Skylar really did live on a farm. And when he was unemployed, he would go back to his farm and he would clear brush and he would work the field. He had a past as a footballer, no? With yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this was, I mean, he really bought into it to a degree that, in fact, I can remember not once but twice that I called him um, over the years for various reasons and he answers the phone and you can hear stuff in the background. He's Mooing. like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just in the field. Mm. Like, no, it was, I think, I think once I heard him, like he's like shouting over the tractor. He had this sort of folksy country image that, well, there's no pressure here, there's no big deal, one way or another, we'll sort it out. In reality, I think, he had a really strong unit, and that's why they did well. He had, they picked players at the right time, like mm. Grun and Brolin and Tafarel, of course, who was, mm. you know, people, he's obviously a Brazilian goalkeeping legend. The fact that he landed in Parma, I think, just blew everybody away mm. <laughs> at the time. Um, but I think what kept Parma going after that was loads and loads of money. Well, the other man, yeah. Calisto Tanzi, your second cousin, we, we think, probably. <laughs> but so that ne- first team is, is, is a very humble okay. team, no? With, mm. uh, with a very Italian core. You know, as, as Gab mentioned, you only had, what, two or three um, foreign players We had it. Thomas Berlin, mm. who I think now people have a chuckle about, but actually was a brilliant centre-forward. Yeah, and was part of that Sweden side that in 94 reached the, what, semi-finals mm. of the World Cup, now on the World Poker Tour. Likes to do Is barbecues he? in his in his apron with nothing else on. Um, yeah. Damn. <laughs> Famous for, was it Leeds, or was it Palace? He scored a goal in a kind of chicharito way where it kind of just, he fell over and it smacked his face and went in. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I mean, he has become a figure of fun, but in those days, you know, he was he was a pretty special player. Right. You had Sandro Melli, who was the, the other uh, striker. Yeah. And I think the guys who got them up through the playoffs were also the guys who scored in that first Coppa Italia final. Mm. Was it Melli and uh, Ozio as well? Il Sindaco. Oh. Yeah. So Marco Ozio, who basically, looked, you know the cover of Let It Be, where you got Paul McCartney there with the beard and full, mm. full long hair, James Horncastle mode. That's it, why I loved this guy. Yeah. But there is a great Ozio story about when they came here for uh-huh. the Winners' Cup. Because he almost missed the final because he was at Tower Records buying... Uh, I was with him at Tower Records. Really? Yeah. All right. So no, no, he was so, buying like The Cure and... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he yeah. was quite excited by Depeche Mode, actually. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah, Walking in Your Shoes was the, the track. Was That was the, the big cut at the time. And uh, oh, no, Sorry, Walking in My Shoes, rather. But we're not here to talk about the mode. And there was no Spotify back then, right? No. So, so Michael had... Osio had to physically go to Tower Records. Yeah, because he's in Piccadilly Palmer. Circus. They don't have a record store in Palmer. So they... No, they do, but it only sells opera because what we didn't mention is that Parma is also the opera capital of the universe as well as home to Giuseppe Verdi, the by far the greatest non-Teutonic composer in history. Right. To the strains of whose argue with that gap. triumphant march, uh, Palmer still take the field to this day. Now, all right, so you've got this town that doesn't seem like a hotbed of football fans at all, but with a strong sporting tradition. Nevio Scala, a very, very down-to-earth, quite literally, manager with very big hands and a a homegrown group of players with one or two key arrivals like Tafarel 
and Thomas Brolin. This season in my Navio Scarlet, uh-huh. he makes Carlo Ancelotti seem metrosexual. <laughs> there you go. So another thing about context. just another thing about Carlo Ancelotti, who would obviously later become a Parma manager, and who of course was from Parma. Yeah, he Parma. took uh, David Beckham said the best dinner he ever had in his life was was uh, was Carlo Ancelotti basically stopping by Parma. I think Milan had played there one day when Beckham was there on loan or whatever, and they went for uh, all the great. Uh, um, dishes that uh, Gab mentioned, and he was like, you know, it left, left quite the mark on uh, on on the Becks. Yeah. Well, you do eat sensationally well there. If you were in Parma for a meal, where would you go, Gab? There's a place I think it's called La Water, which is in the um, it, it's sort of in the not so nice bit in the industrial bit, sort of on the outskirts of town. But it's, you know, it's a place where I think it was like twelve euros and. You can, uh, you know, you've got three courses and, you know, you've got very limited options of what you can order, but... Um, everything's good. Everything's good. Yeah, I mean, everything's good in, in that part of the world. They're incapable of screwing things up, you know? I don't unless think th- unless I, you're Calista Tanzi. <laughs> I don't think that's what David Beckham ate with Carletto, though. No? I somehow don't believe that. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, returning swiftly to 1993, having won the Coppa Italia, having become a force, much everyone's surprise, out of nowhere... Mm. The team that people were calling the the happy island of Italian football, a, a sport riven by, uh, as you previously mentioned, Gabriele Campanilismo, the, the, the regional jealousies. Of, as I mentioned last week. Exactly, yeah. This was very much a safe zone almost, where everyone was smiling, everyone was happy. There were none of the usual stresses. There were. It was it was a an example of how football could be if it wasn't for all the rage and bitterness. Elsewhere, and I think that's yeah. one of the reasons why so many people took Palmer on as their second team. Yeah, I mean, they really captured the imagination. One of the things that helped them in this country as well is that you know people think of Palmer as part of the Italian football furniture. When, as I mentioned, you know they they were not in Serie A until 1990, and yet people now can't think of Serie A or Serie A without a team like Palmer in it because mm. they, were, they, they made such a, such a big impact. Absolutely. And in 1993, at the end of the, our, our first season, doing Italian football on Channel 4, where were Palmer? They were in London, mm-hmm. going to Tower Records <laughs> and playing in the Cup Winners' Cup final at Wembley against Antwerp. Slightly fortuitous choice of opponent there, I think. The Cup Winners' Cup, younger listeners may not recall, was one of three European Cup competitions and I think very much the the third in pecking order, but still huge occasion for them to, to get to this, this final at Wembley, which they were all suitably agog about. And they went on a big tour of London, saw all the sights, trained in Hyde Park, did all the things, and were absolutely delighted to be there. And we're even more delighted once the game got underway. Very popular in Italy. 
and should be appreciated all around the world really their rise will appeal to the romantic nature of all football lovers Lorenzo Minotti the, 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 the captain and homegrown the figurehead really of that that early incarnation of Palmer opening the scoring there at Wembley yeah, Minotti was, I think, the original sort of, before they switched to three at the back, the original Parma back line was Minotti and Apolloni were the centre halves. But then they went, then Scala introduces the, the three in the wing backs and you had tremendously exciting style of play. That's also because he signed this Belgian midfielder named Georges Grun, who was painfully slow, but... You know, he could put the ball on a dime and he said, all right, you go back here. I've got Minotti who can pass and I've got you who can pass and I've got Apolloni who can kick people up in the air. So you guys are going to be my back three and it's going to work great. And you have Di Chiara on one side and Ben Arriva on the other bombing up and down the wings. Ben Arriva, nominative determinism there, no? Yeah, nice. (laughs) (laughs) So Zorato in midfield. Oh, yeah, a tiny little fella. Yeah, who who was a captain, sort of a little sort of prototypical sort of country bumpkin version of Dennis Wise course it's much more of a big city boy but he and was then, yeah the soul of that side now i remember their 100 year anniversary thing you know it was a big deal for zorato to be there and kind of like uh, just mentioned that final remember um there are a lot of clubs that are well-established clubs huge italian clubs who had to wait years to get to a european final and palmer did it in in what this <laughs> second ever top flight season, second yeah. or third top flight season, and this is before um, the money really kicked in. And that's what I was about to say about Zorato mm. is that he he started to basically complain that they were getting away from what they were what they were about. You know that they were this kind of um, hard working kind of blue collar side, really. And then all of a sudden, the money comes flooding in, and these players that they they, they acquired, uh, you know, some real kind of extrovert, flamboyant players like uh, Big Tino, Big Tino Asprilia, who. <laughs> who was famous for many things at Parma. First of all, ending Milan's unbeaten run. You remember Capello's Milan at this point. We're looking to go through the whole season without losing a single game. But I think one ball upfield from their tiny goalkeeper, Parma had Luca Bucci. This was after Taffarel had, mm. had gone. Uh, I think it was a straight punt upfield that Asprilla gets on the end of and, and, and burns Milan's infamous, back, or famous rather, back line for a famous 1-0 win at, at San Siro. He then had a very highly publicised affair with a local porn star, Petra. Petra Scharbach. Funny how that, that name sticks with both of us. And, <laughs> and yeah, he, he brought a, a certain colour to a town that is fairly grey, as you point out, most of the year round. Yeah. Well, Marco Ozio tells a story about, the, he used to like to party as well, but he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, but, you know. Um, and yeah, like uh, to copulate is that what you're saying <laughs> something along those lines and uh, they were out until like 2 in the morning and Ozio says look we've got to get to training tomorrow let's be responsible let's go home and um, so Esprit, they drive home and um, there's another teammate with them they play Esprit, just drop us here it was outside Esprit's house and we'll, we'll walk the rest of the way and Esprit like makes a show of kind of putting his car in the garage and the two of them know what's going to happen and say, how long do you reckon it is until we see that car basically pull out the drive again? And just as even just as they were saying it, it happened and Tino was gone. <laughs> you had Asprilia there, you had Dino Baggio, who came in from Juventus to give you an, an idea of the, the spending power that suddenly this, this side had. Cannavaro came with uh, Massimo Crippa, who's 
kind of very nearly nominative determinism there yeah. because that a brutal player to come up against, I would imagine. Later on, Chiesa, Crespo, of course, Stojkov mentioned, Lillian Taram, Veron, and Gianfranco Zola. Have I missed somebody out? I mean, it's an astonishing lineup for this tiny little town. (laughs) (laughs) No, but for a tiny little town, this was the era of the Seven Sisters, seven clubs who who could reasonably claim a role in the title Mm. race at the start of the season. But Parma genuinely could, and there was one season, 94-95, when they were Juve's rivals in everything, Coppa Italia, UEFA Cup, which they actually beat Juve to. I think that was the third year in a row that was in all Italian UEFA Cup finals, wow. wasn't it? Yeah. Two-legged affair. Dino Baggio, I think, scored in both legs. Right, against, against his old side, right. Side. And, uh, of course, they're, they're, they're rivals for the the title, which they never, ever won, Palma, but they did get a second place once. Did you neglect to mention their probably most famous academy product? After Minotti. Yeah. After Minotti. You're absolutely right, I did. He played for Palma. <laughs> did he have at, a, say, at 17? Yeah. Forget, 17. Forgettable debut. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about this before here on Galazzo. But famously, when Milan come to town and Bucci's indisposed, uh, Nevio Scala decides to go homegrown and tells a 17-year-old kid that he's going to be up against the greatest side in the world. Uh, the following day, he lets them know a day in advance. And Buffon comes out and does an absolute blinder and thus the legend is born, a legend that still hasn't quite seen the sun go down on it. No. Uh, that doesn't sound right in English. A legend that still hasn't quite tramontado. Yeah. Well, you know, if we're going to start firing names around, how about Mr. Cazzo himself, Alberto Malassani? (laughs) Ancelotti, who arrived later, but even after Scala had been dispensed with, Mm. Ancelotti comes in, and then, arguably, what I find surprising looking back is one of their greatest years, possibly their greatest season ever, comes with not Ancelotti or or Nevio Scala at the helm, but Alberto Malassani. (laughs) He's a, another guy who loves to be in the countryside, no? He's like uh, in his vineyard. I thought he liked he, selling he photocopies. He likes wine. Yeah, he likes wine. Okay. He likes but he was a former photocopying equipment traveling yeah, salesman. Over egg guy. Yes. Okay. Used to work for Canon, okay? Okay, yeah. And that took him to trip. I, I feel bad for Manizani. I like him. He, I don't think he gets the respect that he deserves. Partly, and you can Google this, Google Manizani Panathinaikos when... He went to manage Panathinaikos in Greece and <laughs> and kind of the wheels came off. He gives, gives the same famous press conference, which is basically just, just him yelling, Cazzo, 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 Mr. Validoyannis, Cazzo. <laughs> Happy days. But before all of that, 98-99, he was doing the business. I thought he was a really good manager. He, Because he was a copier salesman, he spent he spent a lot of time. He studied, he studied Ajax. He... You know, everything that <laughs> but um, no, he had a lot of influences. What got him is that he was a little too emotional. He's a little too emotional. Yeah. Remember the time he under goes the under the curva and yeah. like the, you know, he just got into it a little too much. And how, how about that 
Palmer team that Malasani had in 98-99. Undoubtedly, he was a good manager, but the squad is pretty impressive. It's so. easier when you have good players, yes. Yeah. Amongst the players at his disposal were Buffon, Lilin Taram and Fabio Cannavaro, Roberto Sensini, Nesta Sensini, oh. Stefano Fiore. Yeah, one of the... I mean, there's so many Italy internationals. And you're, you're skipping over the fact that Ancelotti... Almost won the title. Yeah, he finished second there. Yeah. No, I did say they were runner, runners-up. But this is quite interesting, Gab, because when Ancelotti went, yeah, Manisani was not necessarily the guy you go to next if you want to go to the next level and win the title. That guy was Capello, no? Yeah, and so this is a story of, of Fabio Capello. And so he'd been to Real Madrid, he came back to Milan, and he was and he was terrible. And he had the opportunity to... I think everything was almost just about done for him to manage Parma. There was a lot of money. And as the story goes, you can imagine Fabio, uh, you know, Mr. Culture, big city, Madrid, Milan. And he's driving, he's crossing the bridge over Parma. And he looks around and he's kind of like looking over a steering wheel and says like, where is the city? Where am I? Like I'm within the city limits and, you know, and, and, and I see cows and farm equipment. And he says, I can't possibly be here. So as the story goes, he pulls over, he pulls out his uh, his mobile phone, which, of course, being an early cell phone, is probably... Start attack. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. Uh I can't be in a place like this. It's just not me. Right. And he disappears, and which is also kind of funny when you consider where Fabio Capello grew up. It's not like you're Mr. Urbane, yeah. cosmopolitan. You grew up in the freaking sticks. You're practically Slovenian, okay? So please don't be putting down Parma. You want to talk culture? What culture do you have in Friuli, right? Bunch of drunks. I don't mean in a negative way. They have their culture. That's great, right? Good wine. But you don't that. belong in Parma. Nothing about Parma. It and Fabio, well, if you're listening, I'm saying in jest. It worked out pretty well with Alberto Malasani in his shorts with his exuberant mm. touch touchline antics. What a goal by Chiesa in that final, though. Oh, brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, no, the Chiesa one's the third one, the side foot. No, it's Crespo who does the cheeky dink after robbing the ball off uh, one of the Marseille. De- oh, it's Laurent Blanc. Yeah. Laurent Blanc is slow, I know, but <laughs> stay with me. He's slow on, and, and Crespo nips in, takes the ball and just dinks the keeper. And I think that's the first goal in a 3-0 defeat of Marseille in that UEFA Cup final. Palmer's third European title in the space of what? Six, five years? I think that was the last time that an Italian team won the UEFA Cup as well. Which is a long time ago now. But then the clock struck midnight and they turned into a pumpkin. Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the footsie, then you need to get yourself over to the football stock market, Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of Serie A, the Premier League and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit. Because you listen to Golazzo, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with a seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. TNCs apply, you must be over 18, deposit required, and please trade responsibly. Listeners, it's time to talk about shaving. It's time to talk about Harry's. 
Harry's have got everything you need for a high-quality shave at a better price. Their cucumber and aloe shave gel lathers into a luxurious foam, allowing their German-engineered blades to glide across your face. These blades sit in a non-slip handle with a textured grip for extra precision, and Harry's post-shave balm will leave you extra cool and fresher than ever. Because you listen to Galazzo, you can get a special Harry's trial set, including that aforementioned handle, in your choice of blue, orange or green, a five-blade cartridge, the foamy shave gel and the travel blade cover. You'll get all of that delivered to your door for just £3.95 and it doesn't come in an envelope or a jiffy bag, it comes in a Harry's branded cardboard box. Find out more at harrys.com slash Galazzo. That's Galazzo with one L and two Zs. Lean times are around the corner for everybody, but particularly for Palmer, as the new millennium dawns, it turns out that the Parmalat Empire, run by Callisto Tanzi and the Tanzi family, of which Palmer had been a part, and by this point it's fair to say that the Tanzis had already made Palmer a separate concern. They hadn't been using Parmalat to fund uh, their football activities, but what they had been doing was siphoning vast amounts out of the business, uh, figures around 800 million euros, and bonds that had been issued, uh, accounts that had been published, turned out to be wildly based on incredibly spurious figures, and that essentially they, there was a almost 15 billion black hole in Parmalat's accounts. It was Europe's biggest bankruptcy. It destroyed pension funds up and down the country. I mean, it caused it had a massive knock-on effect, economically speaking, in Italy. But but it also naturally had an impact on on Palmer themselves, who who swiftly had to be re-established as a as nothing to do with Parmalat. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it's a very sad story of of straight up fraud and also regulators and auditors who did not do their job the way the way they should have done and and I think clearly with Calisto Tansi a guy who you know they expanded too quickly they needed a minor hole it's like oh I know I'll just change these numbers because I'm sure they'll be fine later on and no they weren't and then you need to borrow more and you need to change more numbers and it's you know, it, it really is the worst kind of fraud in some ways because it's not like somebody stole the money. It's not like anybody benefited. It's just a whole bunch of people got got ripped off. And and and, and he preyed upon this image of Parmalat as being this global power. And they would look, because it was from Parma, it had to be good because nothing bad ever comes from Parma. And, you know, we're such forthright people. And uh, no, they weren't. Mm. Well, Palmer were declared insolvent in 2004, hung on several seasons in Syria. 2008, they eventually went down, and then they came back to Syria. But they had a succession of, um, can I say, crooks as yeah. as their owners. And I think was was Tommaso Guidadi the, the first person to buy them out of out of the administrator's hands. Mm. Uh, that didn't work out too well. And to, to begin with, it did because he, he he got rid of Stefano Pioli, who's now Fiorentina manager, uh-huh. and brought in Claudio Ranieri for what looked like an, an impossible battle yeah. against relegation. And they had Pepito Rossi, didn't they? They, they, they did. They brought him from. On the, I remember going to see that Parma side against Lazio late in the season, and they, I think they they won that day. Um, they had an incredible second half of the season under the newly appointed Ranieri, who kept them up against all expectations. Mm. I, I just find it difficult to discuss Girardi without, I mean, 
Stefano Tanzi or Calisto Tanzi and his son Stefano did some good for the city and they made a horrible mistake and they need to be rightfully punished. This guy, and just Google him, just look at his face and you realize this guy is up to no good. This guy should not be allowed anywhere near a football club. He's somebody who never produced anything in his life. He's his parents. He inherited the money. He used his parents' name to get credit lines. And he ran roughshod over it. He got involved with people. Remember at one point, Parma had like 120 players under contract. No more. They, when, they, when they went out of business, they had uh, close to 200 players registered with them because supposedly they were going to how they were going to survive or how they were going to prosper was getting players and loaning them out elsewhere. So they, there were hundreds of, I mean, mm. literally hundreds of Palmer players around. But, I mean, he didn't hatch his plan because he's, you know, he's a mental midget. He couldn't do it. But like, Leonardi. Yeah, people came to him and said, oh, look, how about we do this? And look, this is how we can do it. And like, any stupid idea, we found a dodgepot accountant because in Italy, you know, you need certain bank guarantees to be able to, to compete for the season. And the way they did it, and I think you have to present these guarantees like every three months. And the way they did it, they did it in such a way that like they'd move money around so it would like appear for like a day when they came and checked, and then it would disappear again. And it was just basically rotating debt. It was all sorts of, of awful, awful stuff until it came to that, you know, that final season where not only were players not getting paid, but you mm-hmm. know, they were they were like chipping in to to buy petrol, people were coming and like, um, you know, the, the bail bondmen coming to, 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 to Didn't take Didn't they back. take the washing machine or something oh, like that? Oh, they took the benches. The, and yeah. also, yes. remember, they auctioned off everything. I mean, Malisani ended up buying the UEFA Cup, no? That he won. I, I, to, give to give it back to give it back to I remember speaking to Hernan Crespo at the time. I was involved with, uh, with a youth team and he said, it's the most humiliating thing that, that he's been through. And, and then the worst thing, of course, what is this does this dodgepot do? At the end, he's like, oh, that's okay. I found a buyer. No, he's this Albanian. It's always an Albanian billionaire who then never shows up because remember he sold it to, to some some other doofus who had no money. Mm. And then that guy then like, oh, no, I'm going to sell it to this Albanian millionaire. But then it's not the Albanian billionaire. It's some other Albanian who's like a, who's like a line cook at the diner. I I mean... And, and, and then the, the other guy, the last guy, is it Manetti, was it? <laughs> oh my god well fair to say they've not had much luck with owners they Manette, go his name means handcuffs by the way which you know yeah. is where these people all belong <laughs> they go um, they go bankrupt they go down to Syria D mm. and but then yeah are we now witnessing a similarly incredible rise from the new Parma they were refounded initially with the involvement of people like Barilla mm. uh, the, the kind of local you know obviously the pasta dynasty um, and uh, also Nevio Scala, who was appointed as president, and f- 25% of the club was owned by fans. It was the idea there were going to be a new model of clubs. Luigi Apolloni, Gigi Apolloni came back as... as manager. Yeah. He was the manager, and out they come. They've, they had two straight promotions mm-hmm. to get out of City B to City C, the Liga Pro, rather, and then into City B, where they are at the moment. Last year, Chinese businessman Zhang Lijiang, mm-hmm. I may have pronounced that wrong, took a 60% majority stake in the club. And he's the guy who owns Granada. Is that right? He's the guy um, who hired Tony Adams. Yeah. Is he? From, is it Laysport? Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, Daysport. 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 Mm. And he's, um, he's Hernan Crespo's 
guy, or Hernan Crespo, brought him in. Right, so Hernan Crespo is now, what, vice president at the club? I think he has an honorary role um, just because he, he he didn't really like being behind the desk, I think. Right. So he was he was fronting it in that in that sense, but I think he likes to do other things. Chris is a multi talented guy. Now, so. as we record this, Palmer are well placed to make it three straight promotions. They have money behind them. It's an interesting squad. How good are their prospects? Do you think of returning to Syria and becoming real protagonists again in the top flight? I think um, Palmer went all in in January. Um, they brought in some guys who'd played in Serie A, who'd got other teams out, like um, Ciciretti um, from Benevento. Oh, the poor man's Cassano. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, they've still got Alessandro Lucarelli, mm-hmm. who doesn't play as much, but was captain when, they, um, when all these financial problems again manifested themselves and decided that he was going to stick around um, and loves to kind of rub Palmer's success in uh, Girardi's face. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 a crazy league, Serie B, because you know not too long ago the manager D'Averso was on the sa- on the brink of being sacked because they put all this money into the club in January and thought right we can really sure up automatic promotion. Uh, instead, they've you know they've they've only it's only now started to click for them. So um, um, so yeah, they've got a good chance, but you know we've seen. We've seen other teams like Frosinone who've, you know, built their own kind of new Meccano Stadium, look like they're set up, basically choke in the last couple of well, the last couple of years when they should have been should have been getting promoted. So it's it's that playoff thing is quite a quite the uh, bucking bronco to be on. Mm. You can only you only have a playoff if the third place team if there's is it less than ten points? Ten points. Yeah, between the third place team and so you don't have those situations where which theoretically could happen here where mm. You know, you've got three teams to run away with it, and it's like, oh, you know, you, oh, <laughs> you get screwed, and you get to play against, you know, the the sixth place team that's twenty five points behind you, but you know, they get a dodgy call, and you're out, you know, which has happened in the past. Well, best of luck to everyone involved in the promotion race in Serie B, but it would be fantastic to see Palmer back. Mm. Yeah, no, without doubt. I think, um, as I said, like I think a lot of people are just used to Palmer being a Serie A team, which mm. you know, again. But there's, for, there's so many teams you want to have back and like and body, and, and yeah, well, I can do without them, but no, and I want Kevo gone. Mm. <laughs> like, why, like, Luca Campatelli? Why? What's the problem? I'm just tired of these people with no fans and the guy with his stupid Harry Potter glasses and playing <laughs> the old Harry Potter <laughs> bad football every day. Like seriously, he's like a relic to like. All right, it was interesting at first. It's sweet. The flying donkeys. But there's one team in Verona, and it's not you. And simply because the guy who owns well, the other next season, it will be them. Another, mm. yeah. Well, interesting to see where he is and whether he's got you know windows that he can open where he moves to next. Um, <laughs> enough, you know. Mm. Well, Gab, tell you what. Why don't we finish on unless controversial? Sorry, unless Malizani went back to Kievo, now that would be different. That would be special. All right, then the donkeys would truly be flying again. Uh, those are some asses we would like to see. Uh, <laughs> let's finish off, shall we, with your favourite anecdote about Palmer, which, curiously, has nothing to do with, uh, with football. Oh, yes. So Palmer has a tradition of being, like a lot of uh, uh, towns in that area, it's probably the most left-leaning part of, of Italy, um, places like Parma, like Bologna, like Reggio Emilia. Um, but it's also... 
one of the wealthier parts of Italy. So you have this whole sort of idea of sort of bourgeois anti-fascism, and um, which is a subset that people often kind of forget actually existed. And there was a man named Italo Balbo who in 1934-35, he was like the poster boy for fascism in Italy because he flew across the Atlantic. Now, Charles Lindbergh had done it before, and then you had the Lindbergh baby and Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, and you really don't want me to digress, but that was was a real travesty of justice. But Italo Balbo was famous, he was good-looking, he was handsome. No relation to Abel Balbo, no? To my knowledge, no. Relation to to Abel Balbo at all, um, but you know, and he was he was in in the military, and Parma was quite a was a city that was strong anti fascism. They couldn't they couldn't go and dislodge it, so he sent uh, so Mussolini sent Italo Balbo with with a, with a company of, of of tough men there to go and you know restore order, which basically meant beating up the people who caused trouble, maybe throwing some of them in jail, and and he will went there, he lasted a week, and he was driven out of town. And there's a famous piece of graffiti in, uh, in, in Parma um, by, the, by the Ghiaia where it says, uh, Balbo ha traversato l'Atlantico, ma la Parma no. So Balbo, you may have crossed the Atlantic, but you could not cross the Parma River. So nice. that's um, it's one of the points of pride mm. of, of, an, of an oft misunderstood city. Yet another reason to love Palmer. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing matches at the Tardini again. Here's hoping. James, Gabrielli, many thanks for being with us today Pleasure and helping it. us to understand the little town of Palmer a little bit better. Listeners, do hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back with another Galazzo next week. Not sure, as usual, what we'll be talking about then. We'll see what the uh, Campionato throws up for us. Uh, for now, anyway, it's many thanks for being with us from all of us here. It's a Rivadurci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Listeners, around 97% of those of you who tune into the Totally Football Show are male. But despite being more likely to be diagnosed with cancer than women, men are much less likely to ask for help, even when they need it. And that's why we've teamed up with Macmillan Cancer Support to try and put that right. Cancer can affect you emotionally as well as physically. It can affect your relationships, your work and your confidence. So it's vital to seek support. Talking is an important part of dealing with cancer and Macmillan wants to make men with cancer of whatever sort more aware of this so they can be honest and open with their family and loved ones. For more information or to find support, visit macmillan.org.uk. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.org.uk.